Ano hagen nisinga zanabechu nabamia dachinna. Welcome back, everyone, to Rising Warriors. Rachel Coulet. I am an enrolled member of Northwest Band Shoshone Nation. On my mother's side and on my father's side, I come from the Nez Perce, Osage, Blackfoot, and also Danish on that side. And then on my mother's side, I also have a little bit of the Hungarian. Um, today, I have my lovely sister, Michaela, with me. And a um, little brief background, we met each other when we were doing the lead um, program for NEA. So we were part of the lead cohort of 2019 to 2000, or 2018 to 2019, right? Yeah. That <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm like getting lost on years over here. Okay. Yeah. So we've known each other for a little bit, but we went through um, the leadership program at NEA um, back in 2018, and we spent many, many months, almost a year together, um, and going through this uh, leadership program and training. So I asked my sister over here to come on and talk on a very, I think it's a very important subject that needs to be um, brought more um, to awareness, and that is the missing and murdered Indigenous women. And my sister over here, she is doing a lot of work for the missing and uh, murdered Indigenous women. And so I've had asked her to come on today to um, talk about the work that she's doing and give us some more um, education on the matter of what is happening in Indigenous countries. So... Mm -hmm. I'll have her introduce yourself and also give us a little information about who you are and where your people are and um, who your who your people are. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Michaela Madrid. I'm an enrolled member of the Lower Brule Lakota Sioux Tribe. I was born and raised in South Dakota and moved out to the West Coast for graduate school. Um, I'm now living in Eureka, California and working for the Sovereign Bodies Institute. So I'm just really honored to be here today and really love Rachel and supporting you and all that you do. So thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So how did you get into um, the program that you're doing? Yeah, so um, I started being interested in this issue academically uh, in 2015. Uh, I was in a contemporary American Indian issues class um, at okay. Blackwell State University, uh, and we learned about the Canadian inquiry. Um, and so at that point, I was like a junior in college and I was we have to do a research paper uh, for this class. And so I very boldly decided that, well, if they know how many are missing in Canada, I'm going to find the number in uh, America for mm. And, you know, giving myself one semester to do that. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I did uh, quite a bit of research and realized that this was like a whole PhD, um, not an undergrad research paper. Um, and so kind of just stuck with the issue throughout my studies, um, ended up at Portland State University for my graduate program. Um, there I um, really took on this issue. I worked on my master's of public policy. Policy. Um, so really just focused on kind of um, what kind of policies could we have that would help make this issue uh, go away. 
Um, and so actually the very first paper I wrote in my grad school uh, was about this issue. And I came across this person named Anita Lucchese, um, who's now my boss, and I cited her. Um, and so it really just kind of, uh, I think I was in a Facebook page for natives in graduate school, uh, saw her on there, was like, oh my gosh, I just cited you. <laughs> 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 became friends that way uh, through Facebook um, and really just uh, stayed in touch with her um, throughout my grad program. I became pretty involved in the Portland Native community, really grateful for Naya uh, for the LEAD program and helping me kind of find my way and meet my people. Uh, and so through that, I was able to organize a lot of citywide kind of MMIW issues, stayed in touch with Anita through that work. And then as I was finishing up my graduate program, I saw that Sovereign Bodies was hiring an operations manager. Um, and so my whole life, I've never really had like a strict laid out plan for like what I was going to do and where I was going to end up. I've always just kind of prayed about it and just followed wherever I felt, you know, made sense for me and my spirit. And so that's this job just totally kind of fell into my lap that way. And it just it's one of those things where there's so many kind of synchronicities that you can't help but think that creator um, made this path so right right i absolutely love it so what work are you doing then um as the operations manager and what what is the so for those that don't know what is the body institute yes yeah, so body institute so Sovereign Bodies Institute is a nonprofit. Uh, we work nationally, although we're lo located in Eureka, California. We do have staff in Montana, Minnesota, Canada, kind of all spread out. And so we are a research nonprofit that's looking to find the data on this issue. Um, because one of the biggest issues right now is that there is really no central database when our uh, Native women go missing. Mm -hmm. um, there's just a lot of uh, complicated uh, issues that result in not being able to report like you would with non-native folks. Um, and so we are trying to kind of solve that gap of data collection and doing research um, in that sense. But then we also do provide services to our families and survivors that we work with um, because we really um, believe in that value of reciprocity where, you know, the folks that we are working with that are giving us this data and information, um, they also have needs uh, and they need to be taken care of and it's our duty as native people to make sure that they're taken care of and so we think that is a very integral part of our research process um, to emotionally physically and sometimes even financially support those that um, give us their stories oh i love it mm -hmm. so what what is the biggest thing that you so if if I didn't know what missing indigenous women was what was what would be the biggest thing that you would want to explain on what that is and what's going on yeah, and so um, one of the biggest contributing issues, and so this is one of the reasons why this issue is so complex is because there are so many roots of this issue. Um, so we're really just kind of untangling one at a time as we can. And so I think probably the most um, 
the biggest one in my mind is uh, jurisdiction. And so jurisdiction basically means whose responsibility is it for when somebody goes missing, whose responsibility is it to solve it? And so in Indian country, um, tribal governments are sovereign nations. So they have government to government relationships with the federal government. And so that gets kind of hairy when it comes to criminal jurisdiction. And so when a crime happens in Indian country, um, it is a case by case basis on who will solve that. There are specific statutes that do not allow tribes to prosecute non-native offenders um, from mm -hmm. Uh, on tribal lands. And so when it comes to an individual crime, it depends on the race of the victim, the race of the perpetrator and where it happened. And so if any of those three variables are different, then that is a completely different jurisdiction that you have to report um, your missing person to. And so what happens a lot of times is someone will go missing and they'll call the 911 and 911 dispatchers might be the county and the county doesn't have jurisdiction. So they'll say, oh, well, you have to call these people. And then it just, you get kind of thrown around. And what's unfortunate is in missing case, when in missing persons cases, that first 48 hours is really critical to being able to find somebody. And so most of the time we as natives spend that first 48 hours, one, trying to figure out who to report to. And then two, once you finally find the right person to report to is to um, make them believe you that this person is actually missing and they're not just out partying or out you know visiting relatives yeah because that's sad because that's the, the that's the stereotype that has like been built upon us in, in that way is like oh you're all alcoholics you're all you know you're all drug addicts and so it's like oh well you know they're exactly like you just said they're most likely missing because or they're probably partying and you know they'll come back or you know they probably just ran away or something but they dismiss it whereas if it was um white or a different race it might you know it may be uh pushed even further and because they're not on the reservation so it could be any other culture here in on the streets and they're the the treatment is even going to be much different than it is so what happens then if if the natives if like if we're out in the city then what happens on that aspect of um being able to report those missing because we already know it's really hard for um, reporting things on in, in the native country, especially because a lot of people don't realize that um, people will come over the border into the reservations, they'll come commit some type of crime, but then they leave the reservation and there's nothing that can be done. So that's a whole nother issue that steps in the way of really being able to track people down and hold people accountable for what they're doing because there's, there's this... Um, battle of almost of like, well, you're on my side. Well, now you're on your side. So now you can't come over on my side. So what, it, what do you do for the, those who are in like in the city that yeah. are going through this? What so is that process? Yeah, so I'm really happy you bring that up because uh, we know that a majority of Native Americans live in cities. Um, they mm -hmm. don't 
live necessarily in reservations. And this isn't just because folks are leaving the reservation and live in the cities. There were direct relocation policies in the 60s and 70s that bus natives from reservations to places like Portland and Oakland and Chicago. And so um, it's the government's uh, responsibility to take care of those people that they bus to those cities. And so what's unfortunate in this issue a lot of times is that urban natives are not included um, in a lot of the policies and in a lot of the programs. And so that is one thing that we always try to advocate for is that when you're native, you're native no matter whose land that you're on. You're always indigenous and you always deserve to have the same access to resources that tribal folks in that area do. Um, and so so I, I wish I had more of an answer, but we do also know that the cities are a really huge hub uh, for sex trafficking and human right. trafficking. And that is a really huge segment of this issue is human trafficking. And especially here on the West Coast where we have the I-5 that goes from Mexico to Canada, that is a really popular human trafficking corridor. So that's why it is really important for cities like Portland and Seattle and LA to be aware of this issue um, because they can really make a big difference. Um, so I know in the city of Portland, um, there's been a lot of work within the Portland Police Bureau to educate folks on this issue um, because it is really, really important for the cities to know that they have a really integral role in this issue. Right. That's that brings up like the next thing, because I remember doing some, um, you know, activist work for the bill that they were trying to pass in Oregon for um, even getting the police to really collect data of the missing indigenous women. So there was like this lack of even collecting any type of data with these women that have gone missing. Um, there was no reports that was happening from the police in the city, especially here in Portland. Um, there was no reports of these women that were being reported going missing. Um, then if they were put on a case or they did find the missing woman, they never notified anybody. And so they still didn't collect that data. They still didn't notify the families. And so I, I remember helping with, um, you know, advocating to help push that bill to go forward. And even then that was, it was like, it was a push. There was a, there, there was this resistance like um, from the government to even let that bill really be passed. Mm -hmm. But even then after it got passed, I'm like watching and I'm like not really seeing any change. Yeah, and so it's funny you mentioned that task force, because um, I was actually a part of that task force as part of my master's thesis. Um, I, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and so um, my thought on, it's really interesting, these state task forces where we're asking the police, who is the institution that has created this problem in the first place, to go back and be the ones to solve this issue. And it just doesn't make sense to have police leading research, because they're not researchers, they're interrogators, you know, and that is a completely different skill set than a researcher. And so um, I 
I, I think that with that particular task force, the Oregon State Police did the best that they could. And the report kind of comes out as you would assume it would. Um, but they just can't. That's just not their work to do. I mean, for example, we know that Native Americans face the highest rate of police brutality and death by the hands of the police out of any other race. And in every research that we at Sovereign Bodies do, uh, one of a big, the big perpetrators of this issue is violence uh, from the police, whether that's rape or whether that's, you know, just negligence. And so this was a common theme that we hear in our research. However, when I was going through that process, I did not hear that mentioned one time. And, you know, and it's not to say that they are hiding that this is an issue. It's more to say that when you're interviewing somebody who's been victimized by the police and you're a police officer, that person who's been victimized isn't going to feel comfortable to share kind of all of their experiences with the police officer. And so that's why it's important in this research that it really is important for it to be led by indigenous researchers because there's so much mistrust um, on both sides. And it's just impossible to do the good work that needs to be done if you're trying to get through all of this mistrust at the same time. It's so true because there's there's we could talk about the mistrust for hours because <laughs> even then like the it, it goes ancestral and then if we want to we talk about ancestral trauma and things that we carry you've got all these natives that are literally carrying the pain of of our people and ancestors and broken words after broken words and being lied to and nothing ever being, you know, kept and trusted and, you know, treaties, even, you know, still now we're still fighting treaties that were supposed to be untouched, like, you know, Standing Rock, that was like the bit, like one of the biggest things is, you know, that treaty that they decided that they were just going to break and go through land that was supposed to be untouched by, by both parties, you know, that it was, sacred land that they desecrated mm -hmm. and even then um i remember when i was there one of um like a lot of people don't know this either but there was a lot of missing men and women that that went missing during um standing rock when we were there mm -hmm. a lot of people unaccounted for after that and you know where where's where are those people and you know where's Whereas the research for those people, you know, that have gone missing, then not only that, you still have, because um, I was talking with one of our sisters the other day, Stephanie, she's also from, um, you know, the Sioux Nation. And so when we were there, I remember one of my uncles, he was picked up by the police and he was put in um, a dog kennel. So they they actually um, during Standing Rock, for those of you that don't know, any native that was getting picked up um, as a, a protester during Standing Rock, they were taken and to um, what is it? Um, Des Moines, is that Des Moines? No, uh, anyway, I can't think right now. Rapid City somewhere, but they were taking them to um, different places, and they were, but they were taking them out far of the way so that it would make it harder for families to even go get those people out of the jails. But even then, when they were putting them in the jails, they were um, uh, putting the natives inside of dog kennel, like these kennel cages, 
um, that you would have outside for a big like a Doberman pincher or something so they can't get out. And not only that, they were they were not admitted as a regular um, person getting put into jail. They with you know your picture and all the, your ID tag and things like that. They were going back to writing um, numbers on their forearms. So my uncle he actually had a number written down his forearm, kind of like the biggest walk that you know happened where they tattooed um numbers across the natives foreheads or in the lip um mm -hmm. to mark and identify them mm -hmm. and so we were identified as numbers again so that kind of just made me think of what you were talking about made me think about that that time um you know because this was in 2016 for those of you that know you know don't know this wasn't like 40 30 years ago this was in 2016 and that this was happening. And not only that, that's when um, there was a lot of people that were reporting the police officers taking the women and raping the women and raping some of the men and raping the children before they even um, got booked into you know jail. And so, but then even then there's families, you know, there's people that went missing from that. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's, this this has been going on for a long time a lot of people don't really know this but you know it's it's something that i know that needs to be brought more of you know to awareness it's it's big in native country but when you're outside of native country you you really don't know these things that's really going on and a lot of people you know i'm seeing is they're like, oh, that's, you know, that happened back then. And, oh, you know, get over it. It doesn't happen anymore. And it's like, no, we still are going through the the genocide. We are still going through the the act of kill the native, you know, save save the the white man is what it is. But now I like to say it's kill the kill the Indian and save the land, steal the land. Yeah. And because that's what it's more become about. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what is something that you would, so those that are non-native, what is something that you think that, or feel that they could do to help support the indigenous and the missing, um, you know, murdered women? Yeah. So one thing that I heard, uh, by someone I really respect, uh, you know, they said it's not necessarily that people don't care about this issue. It's that they don't know um, because a lot of people, once they do know this is an issue, really do care and really want to help. Um, and so uh, the first thing I'll say is to look in your local community to those who are already doing the work, um, especially as non-Native folks um, really need to understand what their role is in this uh, movement and it's to raise awareness, um, but it's also to lift up those who have been doing this work for so long. Um, because I agree with you, this has been happening forever. Folks always ask me, like, when did this issue first start? And I always say, like, uh, at first contact with the Europeans, you know. Um, we only recently gave it a name and a movement, but it's been an issue that's been happening for a really long time. And so because our governments haven't acted on this issue, we've been forced to act ourselves. And so uh, one thing I love about this movement is there are so many 
beautiful, wonderful grassroots movements happening. Um, and they have been for a long time and they know their communities and they know what works best in their own communities. And so right now we're seeing a lot of state task forces and federal task forces that are trying to kind of reinvent all of this work that we've already done. Um, and so I think the biggest thing that folks can do is to uplift the movement as it has existed forever. And so at Sovereign Bodies, we have um, all of our reports that we do are free and available for download on our website. Um, so we have an MMIP organizing toolkit. Um, so that was written by uh, lots of families and survivors, and it has just about everything you could think of from worksheets to how to lead your own searches to social media. Um, and we even have some data in there as well. So I'd really recommend folks to check out that toolkit for ideas on how to get started. That's really cool. I didn't even know that you had that database. Now I'm like, okay, I want to go check it out my, myself <laughs> because you know, this, the, like I, I'm trying to figure out like too, like what can I do, you know, to help this, um, this issue and things like that, because it, it's happening all over and it's been happening. And, um, like, I, I can even think of like a story right now of, you know, I lived, um, in Portland, close to 82nd was, um, I was like off of 65th and Powell, but close to 82nd and never really realized until I grew up that I literally was right down the street from one of the biggest sex trafficking areas mm -hmm. in Portland. Yeah. And late, later I find out, you know, talking to some of my veteran buddies, um, even in the nineties, uh, they were talking about how they would go and do these raids in these homes and they would find out and they would scope out these um these men that were taking the women and prostituting them on the second and then they would follow them and scout them out and figure out the location of where they were keeping these women mm -hmm. and when they would go and do these um these raids and they would go and rescue these women um it was about 75 percent and all of those women were indigenous women mm -hmm. They, yeah. they were, they were all, you know, majority of them were all indigenous women and a few white, but they were mainly, um, colored, you know, uh, but mainly indigenous. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't even realize, you know, that, that there was that much of, you know, a target even more of, yeah. of that. And that's why it's so important to to know your community and to know those areas. So one thing I'm really proud of the city of Portland in the last few years has really done a lot for this issue and has been really invested in raising awareness. Um, so as part of our awareness week last year, one thing that we were able to do, um, the Portland uh, Bureau of Transportation was able to set up some of those temporary signs with a hashtag MMIW. Um, and we set them up in those areas where sex trafficking is really common in Portland and with phone numbers for helplines too. And so, so that's why it's so important to invest in local, regional, community-based solutions because if there are little things about every community that makes it different and that makes different things work better in different communities. And so, so that is a really good example of why like the communities that have lived here and that know their people and that know you know, their relationships are the ones that need to be leading this work. 
It's it's so true um, because not only that, but when you it's not all, but you know, I'm gonna not dismiss everyone because I know a lot of people do come from a good place and you know trying to walk in a good way and things like that. But it's more common amongst indigenous to walk in a way of honor and respect and love but um you know having that um what am i trying to say but it's it's like it's having that honor within and you know not you're it's walking with faith more there we go it's walking with that faith and knowing and you know leading and with that intuition and you're not really just thinking about yourself you're really thinking about the community you're thinking about this next seven generations so it's not really that we ever really are thinking about ourselves it's you know like like what we're doing like what you're doing you're thinking about you know these families you're thinking about the families that haven't even gone through this you're you know so when you're out here you it is important to have the indigenous because you have you have a different perspective of things you have then you have the, those that are connected to the culture and the land then you there's the huge language barrier and when you're trying to talk to certain families it just be it it's just happens i do it myself sometimes i completely turn myself off when it's a white person talking to me i'm like and there's this anger that sometimes still comes up in front of inside and i'm like but you don't even really know the history you don't even really know what's happening how can you lead in this way and so it's it goes back into if you want to go into generational like it's embedded in us it's in us the those survival skills those knowledges the wisdom those things those are in us from our elders you know our ancestors and so there's a whole nother it's like when we show up to the plate you know and these leaders they show up to the plate you're not really just showing up by yourself you've got a whole row <laughs> of ancestors behind you that's standing behind you and it's like so we're never really standing alone and and that's the other thing is that that's difference with the with the indigenous is we we bring our ancestors with us. So mm -hmm. it's like you know be, a lot of people don't know, but when when I start the, our my podcast, I pray with each person before we start with um, our podcast. I ask for our ancestors to be here with us. I ask for Creator to be here with us, and so this is this is how we are you know we we when we go to um you know do something and for something we're always asking for the the backups to come in and help us and stand and stand because they're the ones with the ancient knowledge and if we're quiet enough then we can hear them and we can listen to them and they're the ones that can go oh you need to do this oh you need to shift this in the you know um in this area over here so that this can open this door for over here but it's not it's um it's more common with natives to have that instant intuition than it is i'm noticing with others but that's just because we're taught you know to connect with the spirit and mm -hmm. our spirit and you know it's a different connection mm -hmm. and so 
I, I do agree, you know, it is so important that we have, you know, the community and the natives and, you know, those, you know, that are watching indigenous, you know, step up and, you know, leaders, you know, step up because we, we need your voices and we need your ancestors, you know, the strength behind them to, to help, you know, shift things and, and things. And, when we're in tune too, then all of a sudden it's just like, you'll just, you'll hear it. Like yesterday, it was like, you need to contact so-and-so this person needs, needs something. And so it was like, but you know, there was a moment where like, I don't know, I might be crazy. Just reaching out (laughs) of the blue. Like, but then at the same time, you're like, no, this is, this is how it is. This is our way. So I don't care if I'm crazy. I'm being told by creator to contact you. So I'm going to contact you. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, yes, I needed someone to talk to. I needed someone with this help and things like that. And so it's important, you know, to have those, those spiritual leaders too at the, at the front battle of, you know, these things, especially with the missing uh, murdered indigenous women, because that intuition is what's going to help find these women before they really go missing. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, it's up to the leaders and those, you know, those spiritual leaders Mm -hmm. um, to the warriors to step up, because if you don't step up, then who's going to be the one that can hear to guide and help these families. Mm. And so I, I love what you're doing and I, you know, I, you know, appreciate the work that you're doing. And um, if there, what is, if there's something that you could leave for everyone today um, on the matter, um, whatever that message is, uh, what would you like to share? Yeah, so I think with this movement, uh, there's space for everyone and everyone has a role. And so I would really encourage, especially Native folks listening now, if you feel um, especially passionate about this issue, if your spirit feels called to this issue, um, then I would really encourage you to act on that um, and to know that, you know, this this movement isn't one for fame. It's not for, you know, notoriety. It's really one just to bring our relatives home. And so so anytime that you do this work, it's very sacred, important work. And it's important to keep that in mind. You know, one of our guiding principles at Sovereign Bodies is like, we don't do anything that would make our ancestors embarrassed. And so we're always trying to move in a good way and in a healing way. And, you know, we recognize that healing looks different for everyone. Um, and so we really just try to support folks in whichever healing journey they need. Um, so I just really encourage folks folks to keep that in mind as you do this work. Um, Check out Sovereign Bodies in our organizing toolkit um, for some ideas on how to get started. Thank you. I appreciate it. And let me know if there's anything that I can do to assist or resources and things like that. Um, And we can talk a little bit later, but um, I I have, you know, some things that I would like to be a part of um, with this movement and things like that, too. And I'm excited, too, because next week um, I have an artist coming on and she actually um, is her one of her relatives is um, part of the missing uh, murder indigenous movement. And she created this feather um, with faces inside of it of her loved one. 
And mm -hmm. it ended up getting, she's also a tattoo artist, I believe. And she ended up, um, people ended up finding out about her feather that she was doing in honor of, you know, her relative that was missing. And so now she's actually um, drawing pictures of families that of their loved ones with that feather wrapped around them. Mm -hmm. And so anybody that has a, a missing family member, they send her that picture and she does it for free. And she does an honoring um, picture of them wrapped in a feather for them. And uh, she makes a copy of it and keeps it for her record. But she sends the original copy to the family so that they have something in honor of, you know, their family member. And, and it, she only asks for shipping. But I'm excited to have her come on, too, because it kind of follows up with what um, we talked about here, but she's doing part of a healing aspect in a way for these families and trying, you know, a different way. Because in in Native, we we do many different, lots of different artworks, and that's our healing. That's part of our healing. So there's a lot of artists, um, you know, that do certain awareness through their beadwork or through their art or painting or um, street clothing wear and things like that. So I'm. I'm excited to have her on to follow up on this because it comes into another aspect to honor um, those that have passed and things like that and sharing a different um, aspect and point of view. So thank you, Michaela, for coming on today and being here and sharing, you know, the work that you're doing and, you know, blessings for you and for your coworkers and all those that are working on this um, this issue right now, and it's it's very important, and um, you're you're needed, and you know, thank you, thank you for stepping up to the plate, and you know, and stepping into your leadership role, and I'm proud of you. I've been watching you since our graduation, and you know, just watching you like figure out where you are, who you are, and, you know, your journey and your voice and leadership. And it's been beautiful to watch you, you know, and your husband too, you know, both of you on your journey. And I'm excited to see where you go further and um, in your leadership. And I'm always here to support you no matter what. And um, thank you again for coming on and Thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in, and we will see you later. And I have another really good artist coming in on Tuesday, so you won't want to miss that. But we are going to be talking on um, the land and sacred and honoring the land that we live on. So that's going to be coming up this week. So I'm excited to do that, too. So we'll see you guys on the other side. Have a good day.